This is Dr. Jeff Barrows, Senior Vice President of Bioethics and Public Policy here at the Christian Medical and Dental Associations. This is the inaugural episode of a new CMDA podcast entitled The Voice of Advocacy. The purpose of this podcast is to highlight various aspects of the advocacy work being undertaken by the team that I'm honored to oversee. And first, I should introduce that team to you. First of all, we have Nicole Hayes, who is our Director of State Public Policy, and she'll actually be joining me later on the episode. Anna Pilato is our Director of Federal Public Policy. J.C. Bicek is our Conscience Freedom Policy Specialist. Rebecca Honeycutt, who is the editor of CMDA Today, also serves as our podcast producer. And last but certainly not least is Mandy Morin, who is the CMDA Director of Communications. She also serves as an integral member of our team. I want to begin by giving you some overarching thoughts about our advocacy work at CMDA. And we see that first and foremost as protecting the vulnerable in our society. So there are four major areas of legislative and administrative advocacy which are, first of all, protecting the vulnerable unborn child, of course, at the beginning of life. Secondly, we work hard at protecting the vulnerable terminally ill from being exposed and pushed in or exploited with assisted suicide at the end of their life. Thirdly, we protect vulnerable minors who are wrestling with gender issues so that they don't get exposed to ideological treatments that will permanently alter their body before they can give full informed consent. And lastly, we are protecting you as our members who are vulnerable healthcare professionals from being forced to do something that is against your conscience. And while we're working in those areas in terms of legislative and administrative advocacy, We're also working to protect the vulnerable through non-legislative advocacy in areas such as human and sex trafficking, assisting women with unplanned pregnancy, and foster care and adoption. So there is always a great deal going on in these various issues. And so our goal with this podcast is to help you stay informed about what is happening at the federal and state levels within these major issues. We also want you to engage with us in our advocacy works in ways in which you can make a difference. And finally, we want to equip you to advocate for the vulnerable within your particular sphere of influence. So with that, I welcome you to our first episode of The Voice of Advocacy. Well, in this first episode of The Voice of Advocacy, I'm joined by my colleague, Nicole Hayes, our Director of State Public Policy. And so in starting out, I want to spend just a few minutes to talk about some critical moments in advocacy from this past year. So let's start out by talking about some high points and the successes that we had in 2023. So could you talk a little bit about the various victories we had at the state level defeating assisted suicide bills? So first and foremost, talking about uh, assisted suicide, we had a number of bills uh, that were introduced. About 20 states uh, or more had assisted suicide bills introduced in 2023, Mm. of which None of those legalized. So we're very grateful that no states 
praise further legalized. Yes, praise the Lord. No other states further legalized assisted suicide in 2023. Now, I will say that Hawaii and Oregon had some expansions in their bills in 2023. Yet you have to figure out of 20 states we had, we're able to stave off any kind of legalization. Currently in the United States, 10 states and the District of Columbia uh, have assisted suicide laws in place. And, you know, talking into 2024, we're looking to repeal some of those. So we'll stay tuned. And we uh, will uh, briefly mention, but we look ahead to 2024, and we know that many of those states will once again, even though it was defeated uh, last year, that doesn't mean that they won't bring it up again. So... So besides assisted suicide, we were also engaged in several states, uh, again, protecting minors that are struggling with their gender identity from being drawn into dangerous gender transition therapy. Where Where do we have some success this past year, Nicole? Well, praise God. And again, really thankful to our partners. I will say Family Policy Alliance and the Family Policy Councils in various states were truly our boots on the ground to help pass bans in at least 20 states where uh, minors struggling with gender dysphoria are protected from gender transition procedures and uh, treatments, cross-sex hormones and puberty blockers. So truly, uh, our kids deserve help and not harm. 20 states, which includes Mm. Iowa, Kansas, uh, we saw bills passed in North Carolina, Missouri, and, and, and several others. Arkansas being the first state that passed such a ban and a couple of years ago. So grateful that these other states came alongside them. And again, just knowing that our our children who are struggling with gender dysphoria, struggling with their identity, were protected from these kind of harmful and devastating treatments. And to that end, we have several states, if not all of them, those laws are being challenged now by the ACLU and those courts. Yes. We're learning that as soon as the bill gets passed, it, it, the ACLU comes along and they file a yes. lawsuit. So they unfortunately have millions of dollars uh, in their accounts and they can they can do this. But uh, we hope and pray that they will be defeated uh, in Absolutely. the courts. So Absolutely. We also made a little bit of progress, uh, somewhat disappointing, I think, on conscience freedom bills, which are so critically important to our members. Uh, anything yes. you want to kind of summarize there in terms of our state activity with conscience? You know, thankfully, two states, I mean, I get, again, the first success we really had was in South Carolina that passed a very comprehensive, wonderful bill uh, a couple of years ago, back in 2022. Now, uh, in 2023, Florida and Montana passed a healthcare conscience bill, with Montana's being one of the more stellar comprehensive bills that was passed for healthcare conscience protections, and one we are now beginning to pattern a number of our other bills after, particularly in states that can really absorb a more comprehensive bill. Florida, wonderful bill that was passed. We do want to go back and and amend Florida's bill to include a civil cause of action for that one. But other than that, really grateful for what's being done. And I have to always kind of manage our mine our and our members and our partners' expectations. And that is oftentimes it takes several bites at the apple for a healthcare conscience bill to move through. Mm-hmm. It may take multiple sessions. It may take multiple meetings with legislators, uh, like with any other bill, but particularly when we are in a, a 60 day or 90 day session, it really is one of those bills that takes a while to kind of move through the legislative process. So 
be patient, but know that we are working uh, steadfastly to introduce bills uh, in the coming in this year as well. I know that this is a, a new concept for many legislators, and I think they are initially a little hesitant to really just dive in with both feet. But as we continue to engage in education and uh, emphasizing the importance of these bills, yes. we are making progress, and thankfully we'll be able to do that on into into 2024. Now, 2023 had a uh, definite low point for both of us and many others. Now we're going with this, yes. Yeah, yes. and especially for me, uh, having practiced OBGYN in the state of Ohio with, for many years, uh, we were unable to defeat a ballot measure in Ohio that uh, ended up enshrining abortion rights without any, without any restriction into the state legal code. And that is a, a huge defeat. And of course, on the other side of the coin, it was a tremendous victory for Planned Parenthood and other pro-abortion mm -hmm. organizations who are absolutely thrilled. And therefore, they have definite plans to take this strategy, uh, which is uh, a strategy of mixing misinformation, disinformation, lies, confusion to the general public through various media outlets and confusing those that are voting uh, so that they can get these, what I would have to say, very radical abortion laws passed into various states. And again, we, when you look at the Ohio law, there's absolutely no restriction. An 11-year-old can get an abortion now in the state of Ohio without any parental consent up until the day before her due date. Uh, there is nothing that stands in her way. So that's where they're moving in other states. So with that low point, let's now move into 2024 and talk about these abortion ballot amendments and what your thinking is. We know many states are going to be involved. And how can our members become engaged in the fight against this? Well, in 2024, so referencing uh, what was a very devastating outcome this past October in Ohio, uh, what members can expect? We have about at least 10, if not more, states in 2024 with uh, ballot amendments uh, facing in November. And some of those states, Arizona, Colorado, we have uh, Maryland, we have Virginia, we have uh, New York, New Hampshire, Nevada, a number of South Dakota. So several states that are facing ballot amendments, Florida even. And while every state is different, the, there are some things that are going to be common across all of those states. And that would be, one, dispelling the myths about abortion. We really need to do more to educate the public. And I mean, those who are of faith and those who are not of faith, to understanding what abortion is and what it really entails and the devastating effects of abortion. And offering people, offering women, facing unplanned, unexpected pregnancies, support in those situations, and also helping people to understand that we're caring for two patients, the mother and the pre-born human that she's carrying. And we're just going to have to do more. Also, encouraging the churches to speak about mm -hmm. this more and educating the churches to speak on this more. I think some churches kind of seek to stay away from this issue. And really, we're talking about something that's, I'm sure, on the heart of the, our Lord, and that is protecting, preserving innocent life mm -hmm. uh, and, and valuing life at all stages. And certainly we have said here that life begins at fertilization. When that egg and that sperm come together, mm -hmm. life begins at fertilization. And the scripture clearly says, 
I knew you before I formed you in your mother's womb and that we are fearfully and wonderfully made as Psalm 139, 13 and 14 tells us. So God has a plan in creating every life and we want to honor that life. And we want to really encourage our and equip others to understand what goes into coming around mothers who are expecting an unplanned pregnancy and how we can support her. And to, and also, Jeff, we recognize that with Ohio, so many things were happening with Ohio. We had members that were uh, in the pro-life community who were kind of splintered on their outlook on abortion. So some would say, well, I would not have an abortion. I'm not going to make that choice for somebody else. And so it just goes more into educating folks. And it also goes into, while we may not be able to outspend the opposition, mm-hmm. where an op- in Ohio, they had a budget that was three to one mm-hmm. uh, compared to the pro-life. Uh, we just we really take this battle to our knees in prayers. So we, we may not have the uh, the dollars, but we definitely have the power of prayer and also the education, the facts, the science, everything else to lend to this effort. Yeah, and so much of the money that came into Ohio on this amendment came from out of the state, uh, yes. and we know that Planned Parenthood nationally has got uh, all kinds of money. Uh, I think I read somewhere that they got $1.5 billion from the Biden administration in the last several years, so they're using much of this money to fund these misinformation campaigns. So it's just so critical for our members, for those Mm -hmm. who are listening, to gain clarity, first of all, on how broad these amendments are. There yes. may be slight differences, but but I think that, that what we saw happen in Ohio, uh, this is where Planned Parenthood and others want to go. They, they want to remove any and all restrictions on abortion, period. And so this is truly radical. And so fortunately, as you've kind of mentioned, that we have several in-state partners, uh, Right to yes. Life in various states yes. that we can work yes. with. So we, we have to never underestimate the capacity for the other side to create misinformation. And so it's so important for our healthcare professional members to get accurate information into their churches and try and get their churches engaged. Otherwise, I think we're going to see continued victories uh, like we saw in Ohio around the country, and that would be a, a horrendous event. And Jeff, you're right. And if I may say, we need to begin today, yesterday, in fact, because we had a 10-month runway in Ohio when we began that work. And we were able to move the needle. The uh, margin that was, that vote was a 56% to 43% margin, which that ballot measure was defeated. So we have um, about a 10-month window or or less now and need Mm -hmm. to begin moving today to galvanize folks to uh, enact in their states. It's going to be uh, a lot of work to undertake, but we're going to, again, undertake that work in prayer. Moving on to a a little bit more positive, you had talked about our our, uh, victories in terms of assisted suicide. And as we talked about things earlier in our team meeting yesterday, you had mentioned how Compassion and Choice is is now very frustrated. That's a good thing because, uh, uh, (laughs) yes, uh, we we love to see those that are are trying to push these unbiblical values onto uh, uh, state laws. Uh, We enjoy seeing them get frustrated, but we cannot rest on our laurels. And so we know that there will be some new uh, a new onslaught of uh, assisted suicide bills that will be introduced. So any states that come to mind that uh, it's going to be particularly close uh, or any thoughts that you might have of how members can get engaged in this particular fight? 
So to answer your first question, yes, I have much concern, as do others, regarding Delaware. Delaware has a carryover bill, House Bill 140, that has been carried over since 2021, if not before. And currently, that bill is no longer in committee and could go to a floor vote at any time. So we are meeting with our Delaware coalitions and truly uh, doing all that we can to meet with legislators. Don't want to give away all the efforts, but certainly it is one of concern. Also of concern is uh, Connecticut. That bill raises its ugly head every year. We managed to defeat it every year in the Joint Public Health Committee. However, there has been talk from the opposition to because it gets defeated in that committee every year, they want to skip that committee, uh, Joint Public Health Committee, and move it on to Jud- Judiciary Committee. And so we're saying we need to be meeting with legislators on both committees and certainly mm-hmm. uh, work to beat that back. Now, also of concern is Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. Massachusetts, their legislature goes year long, and it's a bill that has been on repeat, repeat. And it's a long slog battling Massachusetts, but we've always said that if Massachusetts would legalize assisted suicide, it would almost be that the other states nearby would do the same. Mm. So we are very much engaged on Massachusetts and meeting with those coalition partners and legislators as we speak. Now, with regard to what members can do, I've always said with, with regard to whether it's assisted suicide or whatever other issue we're engaging on, we absolutely need more testimony. We need more testimony from members, particularly legislators who are like to hear from our physicians. And so if you're able to testify in person, that's that's the best, that's more preferred. But even submitting written testimony, or even if you can do it virtually, I understand if you're practicing a professional, that's hard to do in person, but certainly welcome uh, testimony. Secondly, I welcome op-eds to writing a letter to your local newspaper to to counter the narrative, the, oh, the narrative that's uh, kind of dominating in the media right now. And that is that assisted suicide leads to a very comfortable, peaceful death for their loved one. And we know that that is not, not mm-hmm. true. And all the other misinformation that they're putting out there. So I, a letter to your editor of uh, the newspaper or an op-ed would be excellent, uh, something that our members can do. And also simply contacting your legislators to uh, inform them as to why this is not health care, will never be health care, will never be safe, no matter how many safeguards are put in place. It is not the physician's call to kill, it is the physician's call to heal. Mm-hmm. So uh, to find out more, please do email us if you want to get more involved at advocacy at cmda.org so that we can uh, make sure that you're receiving all this information about what's happening in your state with regard to these bill and other bills. Yes, Nicole. And as you're talking about testimony, I, I did want to bring up one thing that we've all often been frustrated by because we often don't get much notice. Uh, and Correct. We, we've recognized that this is purposeful many times. Uh, especially on gender bills and and assisted suicide, we may only get 48 hours notice. And so when we quickly write to our members and they say, well, why haven't we had much more notice? It's because we aren't getting that notice ahead of time. So uh, the members, you know, if they really have a passion about a particular issue, I would just encourage them to follow their local news, especially their local state legislators, and they may start getting a little inkling that a bill is coming into place, and mm-hmm. and uh, they can say begin even preparing to do some written testimony or something along that line. 
because if they're waiting to hear from us in order to do that preparation, we often don't get the adequate uh, lead time that we want to have. So just want to put that out there. And then now we want to move into gender very briefly. Uh, we, again, had great success in 2023. Yes. And uh, many of these uh, bills, have, as you've mentioned, have been uh, attacked by the ACLU, and we know that that's going to continue no matter where we have the success. But uh, I think this whole issue of gender transition in minors, especially in minors, mm -hmm. is getting a lot more attention as the rest of the world is backing off on it and looking yes. and seeing uh, the tremendous complications and permanent damage that are done to these young people. Uh, and we are seeing more and more that, that this is an ideology rather than a medical science. So uh, with that in mind, what states do you think uh, are going to be critical for our members to be aware of here in 2024? Well, uh, certainly uh, everything you said is correct. And I will say that the testimony, particularly from detransitioners who have undergone these procedures and treatments and are now experiencing regret, has been helpful to our, our efforts in, in passing bans because it's not just us speaking about it, it's those who've been through it and now warning the public and the greater medical field about why uh, this is not harm this is not helpful, but it's harmful to, to uh, children. So the states that we're seeing bills introduced right now, we've, we've seen one introduced in West Virginia, Washington State, and what's, we're expecting others to you know, follow suit. So we have 20 states that passed bans, and although they're being challenged, they did pass bans, uh, 20 states. We have 30 more to go, and plus DC. So that's kind of giving a long runway for what we hope to aspire to do, but right now at least three states have introduced bills, and I expect there'll be uh, others uh, during this legislative session. And I know many of our members feel inadequately prepared to testify on this because it's not in an area where they have a, a great deal of expertise. But uh, I, I think that we have materials, educational materials and availability of resources uh, on our website that would help yes. pediatricians, family physicians, yes. even in the prescribing of uh, uh, puberty blockers, uh, and, which are GNRH uh, and analogs and antagonists. Many of them may be prescribing those drugs for other things. Uh, I used to prescribe it for endometriosis as an OBGYN. So they may have more familiarity with some of these drugs than they recognize, but regardless, uh, I would encourage them to contact us if, if they are in a state where uh, a gender uh, transition bill is being introduced and they want to yes. become engaged and learn a little bit more, we can certainly help them with resources. So, And Jeff, if I may add to tag on to that, when they do provide testimony, to your earlier point, I will say that, one, we, get, we seldom get any notice, maybe 24, 48 hours about a hearing being scheduled. And second, our time is often truncated. So for those who are in support of a, such a bill, they may, the proponents may get five minutes to speak. And then those of us who oppose this kind of legislation, make it our cut time cut down to two minutes. So simply saying, prepare your testimony that it may be cut, cut down to one minute or two minutes and prepare it as such. Good point, Nicole, thank you. Well, lastly, I wanna turn briefly to Conscience Freedoms. And uh, this has actually been something that you have been dealing with for the last several years, but because your plate is so full and overflowing, and this is such an important issue for us and our members, we have turned a large measure of the Conscience Freedoms over to our team member, uh, J.C. Bicek. 
But you've been working on this with ADF for a couple of years and know a couple of the important states. One of them that's coming up, I know, is both Missouri as well as Virginia nearby yes. here our, yes. at our home office in, in uh, Bristol. So uh, what would you have to say and how, how should we emphasize for our members what they can do to help? Because we need to remind them that we are doing this for them. For this them. is for their yes. ability to practice yes. biblical and Hippocratic yes. medicine without fear that their consciences are going to be threatened. So what are your thoughts there, Nicole? Oh, Jeff, this is so important. And I know that many physicians, they may have gone into practice in a particular field or specialty and didn't think that this would ever land on their doorstep, but it has. And it's landing on doorsteps of physicians who didn't even expect that it, um, for those maybe in dermatology and things were happening because of the gender transition procedures. So, and cross-sex women. So I would say this is so important that we were, are able to have our healthcare professionals to be able to practice medicine as it aligns with their faith and their values. So I'm very grateful that uh, several states and with the help of the Alliance Defending Freedom and other partners are helping us to uh, Introduced healthcare conscience freedoms bills in the states. Virginia and Missouri are a couple of those states on our target list for 2024. A couple of other states we're looking at too. But this is something that you may even be in a state where you feel like, oh, this isn't necessary because I live in a conservative state or mm-hmm. you know, a state where I feel like my my values will be protected. But I have we I think we've learned and seen that we cannot be so um, complacent. It really is something that is permeating all um, states and all areas of specialties. And so we just say we really need to be able to protect our members now, uh, today, because it is coming to your doorstep, ready or not. Unfortunately, that is so, so true. And a few of our members have found that out the hard way. So Yes, and I'm grateful that CMDA is able to provide this uh, protection for them, this freedom for them. So very grateful, even for our students uh, in particular here will be our next generation of healthcare professionals. Well, Nicole, I know that many of our members and uh, all of our partners are very thankful for the work that you do at the state level across the country in these in these issues. So thank you for taking time to join me today uh, and to Glad help to. inform our members. So again, to conclude and to kind of summarize why are we doing the advocacy work that we do here at CMDA, it is protecting the vulnerable. And if you stop and think about it, if we don't do this, who's going to do it, especially within the healthcare realm? There are so few organizations that are fighting for unborn life and for life at the, at the end of life uh, against assisted suicide uh, for our kids that are suffering, as you mentioned, with gender dysphoria. So even though we may be outnumbered, outfinanced, and occasionally outmaneuvered, by the misinformation uh, within the vocal media, we are never overcome because we have the Lord on our side for whom the vulnerable are precious and uh, very, very important. So I'm reminded of a verse in Isaiah 117 where the Lord tells us to learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, and plead for the widow's cause. So That's what we attempt to do uh, in our advocacy work at CMDA. And as you mentioned already, Nicole, those that are interested in joining us and getting more engaged, please write us at advocacy at cmda.org. We're 
excited to announce the newest addition to CMDA's long list of resources for our members, and it is specifically for students and residents. Called Standing Strong in Training, this new curriculum helps healthcare students and residents stand up against the cultural pressures facing Christians within healthcare today. The curriculum's seven modules are designed for group settings, allowing attendees to solidify their foundational worldview beliefs regarding important issues, such as the beginning of life, end of life, and biblical sexuality. Each module also offers ideas of how to winsomely defend biblical values and positively interact with others in developing their worldview beliefs. For more information and to download this free resource, visit cmda.org slash standing strong. As a result of a partnership between CMDA and Alliance Defending Freedom, we are now offering free legal consultations for CMDA members who may be experiencing conscience freedom issues in the workplace. Exclusively available to CMDA members, this program is designed to serve members who feel they are being discriminated against in the workplace due to their firmly held moral and religious beliefs. If you feel your conscience freedoms are at risk, please visit cmda.org legal to learn more about how we can help. Join us on Saturday, February 3rd at 10 a.m. Eastern Time for The Convergence, Critical Conversations for Healthcare and Theology. This is a virtual webinar hosted by CMDA and the Hendricks Center at Dallas Theological Seminary. Dr. Daryl Bach, Dr. Jeff Barrows, and Nicole Hayes will help you sort through the polarization we see in today's political landscape, as well as the two kinds of evangelicalism in the public square. You can learn more and register at cmda.org events. This podcast has been a production of the Christian Medical and Dental Associations. The opinions expressed by guests on this podcast are not necessarily endorsed by the Christian Medical and Dental Associations. CMDA is a nonpartisan organization that does not endorse political parties or candidates for public office. The views expressed on this podcast reflect judgments regarding principles and values held by CMDA and its members and are not intended to imply endorsement of any political party or candidate.